You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, another edition of the Let's Go Ricky Rowe podcast with Josh Tolley and Beth the Duran. I'm Beth the Duran. If you're watching us on YouTube, your comments are going to come up with us. We are going to see them all. It's going to be available for us. We're figuring things out. Uh, every single Tuesday, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 o'clock Eastern time, we are live on YouTube. Um, it's under my name, Bethel Duran, just because I do all the technical stuff. So I don't know how to figure out another page. So just go there, subscribe. On iTunes, it's under Let's Go Ricky Rowe. And you're, some of you guys have been saying, hey, we need to change the name. I know that. But let me just tell you the technical side of trying to change a name. That means we lose all 40 previous episodes. So what we're going to do is change the artwork. We're going to get the Let's Go, Ricky and Tolly with some Bethel. We're going to figure all that stuff out there. But we're going to get there for you. Uh, we're going to have new stickers made up. We're gonna, it's going to be fun for you guys. So I'm in Los Angeles. Ricky is in some palatial estate. Uh, Josh Tolly is somewhere on the East Coast. And what I realized that last week after having Adam Lind on is that we didn't really get into the Josh Tolley experience. You know, we, he, we talked about it. He's a fan favorite. He's part of the show now. It's the third week with Tolley. And Tolley, are you okay? Do you still want to keep going? you have that fancy studio? Uh, I love it. Not only do I have a fancy studio, this is like the best hour of my day. <laughs> Hanging out with you guys. <laughs> it really is. What's up, Rick? How you doing? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell uh, the wifey you said that. <laughs> don't, don't tell my wife yeah. oh, <laughs> don't tell your wife you she'll tell my wife but okay you know that's another story so with another thing so if you guys want to go to the instagram uh let's go ricky row uh leave, we get some comments from people we see everybody leaving us comments i i see it all it's me myself and i running the social media so if you think you're sending a message to ricky or totally you're not i'm gonna relay it to him i'll send it to him in the group chat but um one guy did say I wasn't trying to attack Tolly. He's a good catcher. I was like, no, 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 no. It's all part of the fun. Everybody knows. We have the thickest skin here right now. You guys were professional baseball players getting cheered and booed in the same inning. So somebody saying one little thing on social media shouldn't be no big deal, right, Tolly? No, it doesn't hurt my feelings. As I said last week, I've been booed by 60,000 of my own fans. <laughs> a, little, uh, a little jab on the Instagram doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> And for those of you saying, hey, what's up with Ricky's microphone? I went to his uh, mansion behind the gates. Um, I got past the crazy dogs. I, I kid you, I hear, Ricky has eight different Rottweilers that are waiting for you. you to... <laughs> no, but we went. You can see the microphone. We fig I think we figured it all out. But that should tell you the investment that we have in it. So we're trying to get you everything mean, for you. You mean, the, you mean the crazy Doberman that's Dude. having the duties outside? Hey, hey totally. Have you heard that story? We were uh, so when the whole pandemic thing started, we uh, we were like, we should just get a dog. We're gonna be home, no biggie. Let's do it. So we're we adopted. So we were gonna adopt, and Carl was all in on that. And all of a sudden, somebody the adoption place calls and says, says, "Hey, you might want to come here. This dog's gonna not even gonna last ten seconds in this in this in this place. 
it's a Doberman, Fulbright Doberman. And we're like, what? But we jumped on it, get in the car, we go. It's a little puppy, so we still don't know the difference. It turned out to be a min pin, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's the best. Hey, because, hey, anybody tries to get into Ricky's house, watch out. <laughs> so for like, for, so we're at like oh. six weeks, we're like, okay, like it's still a puppy, and then they they still tell us like it was the the runt of the litter. So we're like, we bought into the whole bullshit, and <laughs> eight weeks go by, nine weeks go by, ten weeks go by, and this thing is still the same size to this day. <laughs> Hey, 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 let's uh, let's get a feature on the Instagram story of the of the min pin. Oh, we got you. Oh, you. Oh, sorry, totally. Oh, totally has it. I haven't, the, seen, yeah. I haven't seen the picture. Oh, we'll oh, get you hey. the picture of this dog oh, now. She's mind out you, to be the best dog ever, though. She's yeah, I'm sure the right dog. Dog. Tries to come in. Dude, no, <laughs> seriously, totally. So every time I go to uh, Ricky's house, <laughs> I don't go through the gate um, because. That dog is waiting for you at the gate. So, like, it's a big steel gate. You know, it's a normal gate. You go through it. It's like, the, you know, your driveway. But that freaking dog is at your heels as soon as you walk in there. Oh, dude, it, it attacks your, like, laces, like, right away. This dog. <laughs> yeah. He, oh, he he might be a mini, but he, he has the attitude of a full-size dog. Oh, it's a she. It's a she. Get oh, it's it right. a she? Yeah. Oh, well, even worse. Okay, so, it, like, it goes after you, right? So, I... <laughs> I, I walk, so along Ricky's house, there's a, a wall that you can walk along. Like, it's the thing like little kids do. Like when my kids go over, it's like, oh, look, let me walk on the wall. This is cute. I do that because I want to avoid that damn dog because I have to jump over because it really is the most protective attack dog you can have at, that just happens to be a mini, but still though, it's fun. It's, uh, it's the adventures of the I get, ro- I get roasted daily on the on the on the group me- on the group message. So like, hey, has your dog grown yet? Like, <laughs> I love that you were waiting for it to get bigger and it wasn't growing. That's the best part. Of the I, even, I even talked to a, a, a breeder, a, a Doberman breeder, and I was like sending him pictures. Like, hey, are you sh- like, does this look like a like a Doberman? And about oh. a week later, he's like, dude, I don't know. Look at those paws. Or like, and I kept googling stuff. I was like, this is. Does not look like a Doberman. So, nah, so okay, well it's here's the, here's the actual dog. Uh, a pic- Let's see, there it is. There, that's what it oh, is. That's a, a beautiful dog, though. Yeah. Even though she's a mini. Yeah. Uh, but that dog has not grown. It's the same size. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the first week we got it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the fact that I just love it that you were waiting for this thing to be three foot tall. <laughs> it's Carl's fault, man. It's her fault. No, Hopefully, she's not listening. You'd be in trouble. Yeah. So oh, those are, those are the adventures. The the dog Stella, I forgot. It is a girl. It comes after you. And yeah, totally. I'm, I'm at Ricky's house every couple of weeks. That dog swears I am a stranger and uh, goes after you. Attacks. It runs all over the place. And I'm not a big dog person, but I'm scared of it. Because it's gonna get me one day, Beto. Next time you go in, you gotta cuddle with the thing. No, What's wrong yeah, with you? You, should, you should cuddle it and pet it. And no, it's just it's it just scared of you. It doesn't move. Look at her now. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> She's bougie as fuck too, man. Oh yeah. So those are the adventures of what goes on. Oh my god, that's the best. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's our that's that's that this uh quarantine uh top story for us here in the Romero household. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We're we're in the market for a dog, right? Like I'm I'm not a huge dog person, but my kids wanted a dog. My wife wants a dog. She's she's allergic. She has allergies to dogs, so we settled on a standard poodle because we can hunt with. Well, now my kids will send me pictures of you know, like you go to the Westminster Dog Show, and yeah. how they have like ponytails and they're, they got like the little <laughs> fur balls around them. Yeah, I said no, our dog will not do that. Our dog will hunt with me, and it will have a haircut every time, and it will not look like that. So, we shall see. It's coming in September. What what kind of dog is it? A standard poodle. Uh, and it, you go hunting with this? Yeah, they say they're some of the so they're they're hyperallergenic and they're just great uh, bird retrievers. What do you what do you go hunt hunting for? Ants? <laughs> Ricky, I got I have one of the best shots on the south side of Owego, New York. Oh, <laughs> this is no, a... no, dude, make sure that doesn't get out. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll, we'll edit that out. Yeah, of course. Yeah, edit edit that out. yeah sure. Edit that okay, out. this is kind of where we wanted to go to. So, if you've listened to the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast for the last couple of years, mind you, it's been two years ago that we started this. Uh, we appreciate your support. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we, you know that we love telling stories. Actually, it's more of my curiosity and hearing the stories of what goes on uh, with the players. Because as a reporter, you're always asking the same kind of questions. You get to know guys a little bit, but you don't get to hear the personalities when you're doing an interview. Now, when you have a, a conversation off the record, it's like, yeah, you, you're like, oh, that guy's cool right there. Um, and one thing about the reason we brought Tolly in is because he has great stories. He, as you can tell, he and Ricky have great personalities, and they go back and forth with this. But Tolly, we didn't get into your retirement life. Like, you were living in upstate New York. A couple weeks ago on the, on the group chat, as we're trying to figure out the show, you said, sorry, guys, I don't have service after this time. I thought it was a joke. And then last week when you had Adam Lynn on, you told them that you have to come to a studio because you don't get service at your house. What is going on in this compound? Like, for real, I, I, like, I don't know people who go hunting. I don't know people that don't live in a city. As you can tell, I've never left the city. Um, so what is a day in the life of Josh Tolley right now? All right. So here it is. I live out in the country. No cell phone towers around me, so I got to go to one corner of my room to be able to have a conversation on the phone, much less try to shoot a recording. I have no <laughs> shot at doing that. The internet, satellite satellite internet, does only, the wind blows, it doesn't work. And the wind, I live on top of a hill, so the wind always blows. But, so here's, here's how it goes. I wake up in the morning around 6.30 or 7, have coffee. Kids wake up. We're homeschooling our kids right now. So I, what I do is we do school from about 8 o'clock till noon. And then my wife comes home from her Pilates. She teaches Pilates at Simple Form Pilates. I should get that in there. Um, <laughs> free ad. Free always, ad. always, uh, always. Yeah. Uh, so she comes home. She comes home and then we switch and then I go out and do hitting lessons. But where we live is I have a little two acre lot that my, my in-laws had so nicely given to us to build this house. Well, behind our house, there's like 98 acres of other land and we work to maintain it. And we have a nice pond that we swim and we fish. So that takes a lot of time. I mean, that takes a lot of grooming, a lot of, uh, I mean, we get the cattails in the pond, we get grasses that have to be clipped out. 
we're cutting wood all the time um, over the course of the summer and into the fall because my in-laws house is heated by a wood stove so it's a lot of work but uh, i enjoy it now we have an old old 1800 schoolhouse that we're redoing so i've been on the roof lately and if I can survive this next week, we got to put the new steel on. If I survive and don't fall off, I'll be here next Tuesday. If I do <laughs> fall off, I'll be here. Uh, so, yeah. So, no, then I come home from doing my uh, – I do catching lessons um, for baseball. I come home, have dinner, a couple cold beers, maybe a glass of wine, bottle of scotch, whatever, whatever it is for the night, and off to bed. Ricky. Yo. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I would not survive that. <laughs> no chance. We're, we're, we're city kids, man. Like, no way. Wait, Tully, no did way. you did you, you know it sounds fun? It sounds fun to go visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just different. Did you grow up as a country kid? Well, I grew up in a town in southern Illinois, but like I was put to work from when I was my aunt owned a nursery. A nursery meaning like she'd sell plants nursery, not like we bring babies nursery. Okay. So so growing up around the nursery lifestyle is is a grind. It's way harder than what I'm doing now. Wow. This, this, this is easy. And then I have buddies that own farms that I go milk cows. I mean, yeah, I, I grew up a little bit of a grinder, but but then I moved to the city. Like I lived in Toronto, I lived in New York, I lived in Denver, I lived in Arizona. Like it was time. <laughs> I, I I was done with keeping up with the Joneses. So is it is it just deer that you guys hunt there? Uh deer, turkey pheasants quail i guess grouse i mean you can really hunt anything you can actually you know what you can coyote hunt and fox hunt right now in the nighttime maybe not now i think it just ended but you hunt them in the nighttime question for you who's the most famous person that has come out and hunt in your farm the most famous person uh heat heat the clubby from new york that's it he's famous <laughs> That guy's more famous than baseball players. <laughs> I never went to. That's actually one of the one of the few stadiums I never played in. So I don't know who you're talking about. Wait, Yankee Stadium? Oh, there, Yankee right? Stadium. Yankee yeah, Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the kid, one of the guys that works in the clubhouse. Which one is yeah, he? he? Is he? Is he? Is he the one with the with the funky hair? Yeah, he. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He was. He was always like, like on the go, man. He, Dude, he he's is always on the go. Yeah, yeah. The guy lived in the Bronx, and he he acts like he's like from the sticks somewhere. But it's funny because he comes, uh, he comes, he drops his four wheeler off. I still have his four wheeler. He can't wait to come on off days. This kid's crazy. This is this is the adventure. Every week we're gonna have to get an update of Farmer T uh, Farmer Tolly. What's he doing this week? <laughs> hey, wait, wait. Let me say one more thing about he. Yeah. And and Beto, I'm gonna need the recording because we're gonna I'm gonna send it to him. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's working right now. So here here's the deal. He goes hunting, right? He's telling me how great he comes out for postseason, tells me how great of a shot he has. Okay, no problem. He shoots no deer, just right at the bags, and he's nailing them. We go out hunting, the guy misses. Okay. <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to shoot a deer with a bow and arrow. All right. So we gave him the pass. Well, he comes back out for rifle season. He missed three other times. Went home with no deer. <laughs> so he went over. Oh, swung and missed. But he told us how good of a hunter he was. You can't do that. 
this is we're, we're gonna need a whole separate podcast on the side that we're gonna have to create hunter totally because there's a rifle season there's a bow season ricky you and i are like what is going on yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm completely lost. Like I said, if I went there, I'd probably be like, no, no, no. Guys, the weather's changing. It's about to be golf season and fishing season. So this is the time to come. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm right. <laughs> I love the honesty. I no, love the honesty. There's no need. That's awesome. That's why every, yeah, Ricky's like, okay, let's change the subject because no more farmer talk for you right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll go for golf. I don't know about sitting for eight, nine, ten hours like I used to hear stories about guys doing, waiting for wow. the deer to appear. These guys go and like yeah. paint their faces. They think they're in the military. They think they're doing something crazy, and uh, they wow. even put like they even put like stuff like so that the deer yeah. doesn't smell them. Uh, yeah, man, it's like the, it's a whole like different like when you hear the stories about it. It's I mean, uh, there's a lot of hunters in in in, in baseball, and, and and that's all they live for in off seasons. And you, and you hear it right. about it a lot, but 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 they go and like I said, they go in to these like little houses they build on in the middle of the woods, and they wait for the right one. And if the right one doesn't come, you can go a whole like off season without killing the one, you know. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> you can you can go weeks without even seeing a deer. You know, that's actually. <laughs> You bring up a good point, Rick, and uh, we're going to get eventually, you know, today's just story times, uh, but it's uh, the cultural differences that you have in a baseball clubhouse, but you're talking about this. Ricky, you're a kid from East LA where people live on top of each other in apartments or three houses on a lot. Totally has 90 acres where he doesn't see another human for the rest of the year if he doesn't want to. And that, but that you bring that in there and you have the guys talking about Hunting, you have a city kid together, but then you also hear stories about how some of those teammates all of a sudden go with somebody and it creates a camaraderie. What's up with oh, yeah. How do you explain that world totally to say a kid like Ricky, who's from the city? Well, I mean, I think it's trial and error, right? Like you, you have to give them the best experience you can give them. And that's what I, I always, inv- I just started hunting this year. I'm not some like avid hunter by no means. Oh, that's, man. That's, uh, let's, uh, let's start there. I know I talk like it, but <laughs> <laughs> try to sell ice to an Eskimo here, but it is, I, I think it's about the experience. And, and aside from the hunting with, with all, with in all sincerity, it's, I love the camaraderie of hunting because we hunt in a big group. So there's like seven or eight of us that hunt together and it's what happens after you're done hunting the, the barbecue, the cold beers, the, that, mm. that part of it is what I really enjoy more than I like going to sit in my tree stand at four o'clock in the morning and it's raining and I'm freezing my ass off. See, that's, that's where I would be like, Hey, you go do that. You bring the food and I'll wait for you here in the cabin. <laughs> nice and warm. Yeah. I, 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 and I, that's a good, that's a good start, Ricky. Let's start there. Yeah, there it is. All right, yeah, so I, uh, before- uh, yeah. But I mean, you do. But, but Beto, before before we go to the next subject, it's 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 crazy how much you hear about it though. With uh, even like Dominican guys, because they they love that uh, that part of it. You know, really? um, we had we had a guy, uh, Luis Perez, Luis Perez, and he's he's oh, from the Dominican, wow. lefty pitcher, and he, I mean, I see his stories now on on on, on my phone and. It's great. He has cows. He has everything you can think of. He's cooking something new every day. And 
and and it's just crazy. He lives like like almost like Tolly's explaining it, but in the Dominican, he's like lives up on a hill, and it's him by himself, and he with his family, and he just does his thing. So it's almost similar to somebody doing it here, um, you know, doing the hunting. He's just doing it over there. But like we always used to joke because Dominican guys were always like, "Yeah, what Louis per- the life that Louis Perez lives." None of us would be able to survive that life. He knows he can go out, hunt, kill, cook, make his own fire, and and he's good with it. He's like us city kids from the Dominican would die out there. So it's, it's crazy how there's even a difference within that country. You know, I mean, just like here in this country, the U.S. You know, we I would if you put me out there and told me, hey, go find your food. I probably <laughs> start. Like there, like this is there's no Uber Eats with you, Tolly. No Uber Eats, no shot. We do have Instacart, which is pretty helpful. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. ten minutes. It's ten minutes to the grocery store. Doesn't seem like much, but it's a twenty-minute round trip up and down the hill. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, Ricky. There's no need. There. There's no need. Uh, <laughs> Here oh, we have Instacart, Uber Eats, Postmates, yeah. you name it, DoorDash. Let me know. Let me know when you guys change your mind. Yeah, uh, we, we, we won't go, but we will send our good friend, the Ace of SoCal. He is back. Uh, yeah. Somebody say barbecue and cold beers. Now, imagine taking somebody like him. All you do is kill, and he'll just barbecue for you and the cold beers. We got a guy. We got a guy for everything. All right, as we move on, looking at the Instagram, uh, uh, let's go, Ricky Rowe. We got a message. This comes in from Lindsey Cron uh, in Manitoba. It says, so pumped you guys are doing podcasts again. I love the energy you bring to each episode. Great topics and insight. Looking forward to drinking a beer and listening to another episode. Sending love from Manitoba, Canada. So thank you, Lindsay Kron, K-R-A-H-N. Blue Jay fans, UK is always supporting us. So we appreciate everybody that keeps sending the messages. Thank you guys so much. See, so Tony, you're making an impact with the people. Well, I love it. And I know I I love it too. I love it just as much as they do. So it's uh, it's exciting. And I love to hear that Lindsay's having a cold beer at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or <laughs> 11 o'clock, whatever time it is in Manitoba right now. <laughs> as it is. All right. So today's episode, it's uh, the day before St. Patrick's Day, March 16th. And I was curious about this. So last night, I'm listening to the Dodger game here in LA. And they're talking about the afternoon game. And as they're signing off, they said, eh, the Dodgers have a split squad game in about an hour, which got me thinking. How the heck this part of the year or spring training where spring training is going to wrap up in what, two more weeks, split squads. Tolly, Ricky, explain to me what it is, how they figure that out. And if you're a veteran, like, do you get to pick where you go or how, like, how does that work? I think what well, be, totally would probably be able to answer this question more because pitchers always, if you weren't pitching, you you just you have nothing to do with the games, like nothing. You can just maybe watch the the morning game, watch a few innings, if that, take it to the house, which is why position players hate us. Wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. So you go do the morning, you do your work, and then you go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. If if you didn't have to watch the game, if it was a team that you weren't gonna play during the season, take it to the house. So you're on a golf course while the by by the time the first pitch is going on. Seriously, some guys were. Yeah, some guys were. And obviously, I didn't like golf at the time, so I was always like, uh, I'll just stay for like three, four innings and kind of watch what, what. I just wanted to watch the pitchers, and then I'd take it to the house. But um, I was gonna say, I think there's a minimum of major league 
baseball players that you have to have at each game. Like I said, Tolly will be able to answer this better, but for pitchers, it was if you're not pitching and if you're not facing that team during season, don't even worry about it. The night game, only the pitchers that are going to pitch that night or the backup guys are the ones that go and that's it. Really? Yeah, yeah, and I, I'll I'll speak from a position player standpoint. So, for example, let's just start with the infielders and outfielders. Ricky's right. I think there's a minimum, and I think it's like you have to have five major league starters or there, or somebody five guys with certain amount of service time that have to technically go. But it's not that big of a deal. I know that they teams will work that out if there becomes a problem. So, with the infielders and outfielders, a lot of times what happens is the veteran guys really decide where they want to go, who they're facing. There's a lot of things that play into that, right? Um, maybe, so let's use, for example, let's use, for example, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, right? Well, guys might want to drive over to Dunedin in the night game because they're going to face Ryu, and they want to know what it looks like before beforehand leading into the season, and then maybe they're playing, let's call it Pittsburgh, in the afternoon and there's no point. So that's how the, the position player breakdown goes. Now the catchers are significantly different in the fact of who's pitching in what game and who's going to catch who, right? So let's say Garrett Cole doesn't want to face the Blue Jays. He'd rather face the Pirates. Well, Gary will be the Gary Sanchez would be the guy to catch Garrett Cole regardless. So he doesn't get much of a say or if, or if Garrett Cole wants to go face the Blue Jays, Gary then has to just suck it up and go to Dunedin for the nighttime. That's kind of that's how the catching situation goes. And then the guys backing up, you're just kind of it is most of the time. If you have most service time, they'll ask uh, which one you want to do. Really? So the players yeah. are in charge of all this. It's not really the coaches and managers. Ish, ish, right, Ricky? Ish. I mean, I, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's not like, it's not a hard line. It, it's not like no, no, hey, no. totally. What do you want to do tomorrow? Like, no, no. The bench and the bench coach handles all of it. The, don't think yeah. the manager's walking around asking who plays. The bench coach is what keeps the, those major league teams moving. Huh. And, it, it, yeah, it, it, it really is. It, it, and, like he said, it's some guys like playing under the lights, too, when those night games come because it's time for you. When the season comes, you have to be ready for those night games. You don't play really any day games other than the weekend games. So some guys like to start getting used to under, playing under the lights and doing all that stuff and, and just kind of feeling that, that, that different adrenaline rush of, all right, it's a night game. I, I get to prepare the way I'm going to prepare during season. I always wonder that uh, for spring training. I'm like, we should have more night games because when the season comes, you're up early or during spring training, you're up early almost every day, up early. And then the season comes and you got your first games at 7.05. And now you're up at six in the morning and you don't know what to do with yourself. So I always I always said I always wonder why like the last it's not just all night games to kind of get you into that routine of having the full day, what you do, like getting ready to prepare pretty much mentally, physically, and how your routine's gonna look for season for, for in season. You know, Ricky, it's funny because the Yankees last year before COVID got before COVID shut us down, we had uh, that, I think that was the original plan was the last week of the season they were going to be – or last week of spring training were going to be all night games to start changing the guy's clock because people don't talk about it, but that's a big deal. It's a it's a huge deal yeah. if, if your body clock isn't used to it. Now all of a sudden you're playing at 7 o'clock 
from here on out. That's it. <clears throat> I never thought about and, that too. And, and, and if you think, yeah, and if you think about it, sometimes a lot of the, you talk to most guys right after they're done with with uh, their daily workout and spring training, it uh, whether you play or didn't play, you go home and take a nap. So around what time are you taking a nap? Four or five o'clock, maybe, and that's the time yeah. that you kind of have to start preparing for during season. So during season, you're like, oh shoot, you know, like my my timing is off with my body so it's not like i said it's not like it's makes a humongous difference but it's i think it's good to start getting the body ready for those 705 games instead of waking up at six in the morning to be at the stadium and and play a one o'clock game every single day you know it's just something i think to to maybe look at i mean we we have so much information nowadays and all these like sleep technology things and people talking about all that good stuff that May, may might be something that you have to look into i think yeah yeah i i definitely think that it's it's going to be more of a question as we get going and and over the next couple of years because i as i said i know for a fact that it has been talked about now the issue that that rises is i think in spring training because teams set the time for the game i believe i don't think major league baseball does and the teams don't even get to say it's the people that say hey, we're going to play at 1 o'clock because we make $10,000 more per game. Yeah. <clears throat> and they, that's that's how they figure it out most of the time. And and yeah. once we we shift into the more of the well-being of the player versus the well-being of the pockets, then it's a that, I think that's when this conversation will change. Yeah, it was, I was just curious about the, how that works and like who figures out what's going on. Now, it's also this part of the season where – I mean in the spring training where – the clubhouse starts getting a little bit smaller because guys who get the minor league, who are minor leaguers who get invited to major league camp, get sent back to minor league camp, right? And I think you guys have explained that there's two different clubhouses, two different worlds, everything else. How does that work when you're a veteran player and you get sent back to minor league camp? Like, what do they do? What do they tell you? Well, I mean, it, it really. I was one of those guys with the Giants where. They, with the veteran guys that have enough big league time, they wait to the end, to the last possible end. You know you're not going to make the team, but they wait. I think they do it out of, like, I don't know, I want to say courtesy maybe. Josh would know. But they don't really send you down to the minors right away. I think they keep you up with the team for a while, and then maybe the last, like, few days they say, okay, you know, it's time for you to head down. Obviously, you weren't going to make the team. So I think it's more just, like, a respect thing where they don't send you down right away. I mean, you really, at that point, when the minor league starts, obviously we're dealing with different times right now with the pandemic and all that stuff. So it, it doesn't look probably the same. But in the past, you just you you head down to the minors, and those guys are barely starting, and you're already, like, a month in into spring training. So – for veteran guys, I always felt like they they waited till the end. Yeah, they I, I would agree with that, Ricky. And I don't know what the what the reasoning or idea behind it is, but I, I would say there's a respect level that uh, they they try to give a veteran player, a guy that's been around. Um, I'll say this though, you always get on cut days typically when you get meal money. What do you and mean? And everybody knows that. Every, so you get envelopes of meal money typically in spring training, right? So everybody knows the day that you're going to get called into the office. So you know what you know what Josh does? 
I go right into the stall. I put my feet up, and nobody can find me. And I see if I can get an extra day of uh, that was always one of the the toughest part, though. In in uh, in even in the minor leagues, when they release guys, I spent a maybe like two a, a few years in the minor leagues, and when it comes to release date, when they start releasing players, not because obviously in the minor leagues, they're not sending anybody down because you're, you're with every, you're with all the minor leaguers, but when they just start, like the coaches sit outside and I don't know how it's done now, but they just sit outside. And as soon as that guy parks this car, they start walking into the clubhouse. They snag him before he comes into the clubhouse, talk to him, say he's been released. Poor guy is walking down the hallway crying and packing up his locker and saying, yeah, man, I just got released. And you're just like, Oh, it's like it almost becomes such a like quiet, like nobody's talking in the Meyer League clubhouse. It's very, very loud because there's you got over 100 guys in there. It's super loud. But those days I feel like everyone is super quiet. Everyone's always like, did you hear so-and-so got cut? Did you, did you hear so-and-so got released? And man, that sucks. And man, I thought he was doing a great job. And and obviously the organization sees it a, a bit different. You're not you're not making the decisions. But those were the days that you were always like. Man, that that stinks, you know, for that guy. In, in all sincerity, Ricky, those days hurt worse than when you get optioned down from Major League Spring Training. I mean, you yeah. you've you've seen it you've seen it a hundred times in your career where you've lost good friends in the game to a release, and now all of a sudden you don't ever talk to them again. Yeah, it's like it's true. it is. It's a it, it's a very very strange day, and you're right. Kids are kids are sobbing. Nobody knows what to say. I mean, it's it's a different feel when when you're living out your dream and then somebody tells you you can't do it. Like it's a little bit easier as you get older. You get released. You just know you know what it looks like. It's not uh, it's not brain surgery um, when it comes down to that. That part. Yeah, right it, there. And, oh, and, and it's like I said, it's different from when you get optioned down and and. Uh, um, I was optioned down in 2013 and after being in the big leagues for four years and it was, it was, it was just a bit different. It was just, you don't, ex I, I, I kind of, I, I already had been struggling and I saw it coming, but I didn't. And, and when you get told those words that you're getting sent down and they want you to work on stuff, you know, I, I took it well, but at the same time, it's a little bit of a shot to your heart. You know, you're just like, damn, like, okay. But I knew what I was going through and the stuff I was dealing with and, Obviously, I went down, tried to fix it, and in the end, it really didn't work out. But when, when, uh, but I think they do a good job about the veteran guys and, and making sure it's the young guys that they kind of, hey, you're in here for two weeks. And like, like Josh said, when that meal, meal payment comes in, they're like, okay, we're not giving it to you. Or and if they give it to you, they, they, uh, when they send you down to the minors and, and, and the minor league or the minor league, uh, paycheck comes for, for meal money, they make sure they deduct that money, you know? So you never get away with like a little extra in your pocket. They always make sure they, they get it back. Yeah. Somewhere. yeah they keep a close tab on it. That's for sure. Ricky, you got, uh, you got sent to the minors during spring training. Yeah. Well, my first, so my first spring training, I, I was as a, as a veteran, as a veteran. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, twice with the Giants and with the with the Blue Jays in in 2013. 2013, yeah, when when the team made all those moves where they acquired uh, 
Burley, Josh Johnson, um, Jose Reyes. It was totally. Was that your first year in Toronto too? Yeah, that was my first yeah. year. And so, then R.A. Dickey, and and they made they made a, a big splash that offseason, and I was supposed to be part of that rotation with Dickey, J.J., uh, Josh Johnson, who was nasty, you know, and obviously things didn't oh. plan out for in in, in, in Toronto, and, and it stunk because I we all I mean Josh would be the first one to say it. that guy in in Miami, Florida, was one of the nastiest pitchers you'd ever seen, and mm-hmm. and uh, and then you got Mark Burley, who we all watched. You know, as young kids, when he was in with the Chicago White Sox, and then went to Miami, came on that deal too. So I was supposed to be part of that rotation, and just things just didn't work out uh, at all for for me and for uh, for Josh that year. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, at, at the end of the at the end of the day, though, Ricky, like I, I would say this, like you've had such a such a great career, and this is how I always looked at it: is it's it's it is challenging, and it's a kick in the stomach when you get sent down. But some of the best advice I ever got was from Todd Helton. And he says, no matter what happens, you go down. And if if you can maintain the professionalism, which, Ricky, you always did, like it sets you up for what's next. And I I think you you see what's going on. And and you have a lot of respect amongst Alex and Perry and the, the, the front office that was up there because of how you handled things. And... You, you you have a anybody that plays in the big leagues for as long as you did has had a great career and that's uh and I I, I don't think anybody can take that away from from you whatsoever and I, and I think the same goes to you because I think the way you handled when we were in Buffalo and we had fun you know we we, we, we I, don't, I don't think we let that dictate the mood that we were gonna have for the rest of the year, you can either be miserable and make, make your life just completely hell and triple a be bitter, be mad at everything. But I think we did the, the, the opposite. And even though I was going through, through a rough time, it, it still, I, I, yeah. I felt like I had a duty um, to make, to make sure that, Hey, the, the young kids are looking up to me. The young prospects are looking up to me that I have to make sure I act like a pro and, 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 and my job is to be a pro and, you know, and, and when, when the Sportsnet feature came on, we did a Sportsnet. Uh, I did a Sportsnet feature on on mental health and all that not long ago. Um, and the amount of players that reached out to me was crazy. You know, from like the Kevin Pillars uh, to the Kevin Biggios, and just guys saying like, like, dude, you you Kevin sent me a, a nice message, Pilar saying like, hey, you you were such a young mentor, and even though th- times weren't going well for you. Man, I, you still made a lasting impression on me, and 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 then yeah, uh, it, we we we, we rewind a little bit. So, sorry, we rewind a little bit about uh, we were at the winter meetings with Joe Musgrove. I'm never gonna forget what he told me. Um, Joe Musgrove, who's pitching with the San Diego Padres now, he I didn't even know he was with the Toronto Blue Jays. Josh, he was a he was a Toronto Blue Jay at one point in his career, and he said he said. Um, the first time I ever met you, you were the nicest guy ever. Like the nicest, like you were already in the big leagues. You were established. We, I saw you at a movie theater and you treated me so nice that I remember that forever. And I said, I want to be, I want to make sure I'm that kind of person to younger guys. And I was like, holy shit, you know, and this is like a well-established big leaguer now. And I always it, like, I was like, man, like this, this is what, this is the person that I wanted to be. I'm more than a baseball player. Well, and that's the thing, Ricky, is like this is what I this is what I spoke about last week. 
was the idea behind passing the torch to the younger generation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like the importance, the importance that it, and the respect that this, that you need to have for this game can only be told through somebody's lens that's really done it and knows what the struggles, the struggles are real, whether it's, it's a mental thing, a physical thing. And, and if you can give those, the younger generation, those experiences, I mean, we talked about this. There's no, no reason to beat a dead horse on it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is that's, what's really missing because you're no longer and, and mark my word, this, your, those conversations that Joe Musgrove had with Ricky Romero are, are not going to happen. Hardly any, if, if, if at all. Yeah. And, and, and I remember, and I remember um, like Josh, it was Josh and, and Mike Nickius who were the, the veteran position players, Andy LaRoche was part of that team. Yeah. And, and I remember you guys handling the position like Kevin Pillar, because Kevin Pillar was up and coming at that time. Ryan Goins was up and coming at that time. And yeah. I remember Ryan Goins uh, rolled up one day, I think in a, maybe a, a Louis Vuitton backpack or a belt. And you guys were giving him crap. You're like, guy, what do you got? What are you doing, man? You're not even ma- you're not making that kind of money yet. Like. You're gonna get there. You're gonna get there. You know, but but right now, hey, relax a little bit on on this, you know. And and it, it, you guys might have give, been giving them shit, but it was like it's the truth, you know. These the, you your time's gonna come, you know. And uh, and and I just remember you guys being a positive influence for that young crop of of those guys that were coming up. Um, you know, we all saw what Kevin Pillar could do, uh, hitting wise. And but I always make sure you, I you got I always heard how you guys always kept them humble. You know, and, yeah, and make sure it was like, hey, yeah, it's it's easy for you right now, but there's going to come a time where you hit that wall. Yeah, and, you, and you're going to, you're going to triple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the thing about it is, is I what I loved about that team was that was really one of the last years that everybody sat around the clubhouse at the end yeah. of the games, played cards, had pizza, a couple beers. Like that was the last of the generation, and and. I thought we had just a great, a absolutely fun veteran team led by downtown Marty Brown. I mean, geez, what a better, <laughs> good actor, a better skipper. Wait, what, what was the name? Marty Brown, but we called him downtown Marty Brown. Who was who this guy? Because both of you immediately just started laughing. Uh, YouTube Marty Brown injections. That's all you'll have to you, – that's the only, only YouTube that you need. Yeah, it's yeah. it's worth it's worth the watch. Um, Bob Stanley – we had a good staff, man. We 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 really did as as a whole group. That's what Ricky. I, I have to say, I think that's what kept all the older guys together was us as a group collectively, along with the staff, uh, made it fun. Oh my god, it pops up right away. Marty Brown injections. First thing on. Yeah. <laughs> right, hey, Meadow, don't watch it now. Watch it later. There's a, there's an ejection when he got ejected in Norfolk, and he sat on the field on an, an interference play at second yeah. base with Jimmy Negrich. I'll never forget it. Uh, yeah. but Buffalo Bison's Marty Brown suspended for sitting down on the job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, future I podcast guest. That's what I love about this uh, podcast. Totally, is I, I think. I, well, it's funny. I think. I think he got kicked out in, in Norfolk. I don't know if it was that time. It might. Yeah, actually, it might have been that time. Yeah, I was there, and I remember <laughs> I walked into the clubhouse, and he's he's sitting there watching the game on the TV with a beer, and he goes, "You like that?" <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, he loved it. He loved it. He, yeah, 
he loved that the boys would get fired up when he would do Oh, uh, dude, I sat there and I was like, oh my God, man, that was the funniest shit I've ever seen. Uh, but yeah, you he, know it, was, it was a good group. It was, it, it, you know, as much as it was, it, we all hear about the AAA stories, guys being bitter, guys being mad because they're there. They're, yeah, you're going to run into that. But for the most part, I think these guys, we all kept it loose. And I think they all did a good job because we, we'd all been there. We'd all been uh, to the big league. We'd all... We'd all experience success, and it's like anybody that comes here and tries to be a little shit, like it, it ain't gonna work, man. Yeah, it, it just no, it, no, no, no. What, what? What do you? What? You know, these guys would give me shit because it was like, hey, Rick, you know, you're making the most money here, you know, and and I'm in the middle of a big contract, and I'm sitting there <laughs> triple, like, you know, and and it was like it was just banter left and right, left and right, left and right, but in in good fun, and we always made sure we kept that clubhouse loose because we know how AAA can be. We know the dog days uh, at the end of the season where it just gets like you're just like over it and you want to go home and all that stuff, so. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, well, I think well, let, me, let me write this down. Uh, let, me, let me let me write this down because before I forget it, uh, what do you think about topics coming up pretty soon for the next episode or later on the road? Uh, manager stories? Uh, yeah. Would that be? Yeah. I mean, we don't have to I say names. Like, I, like yeah, I mean, yeah, we, maybe keep the names out of it. But, yeah, keep the names uh, out of it. That. Okay. I love that idea. I'm sure Marty Brown would love to come on here and tell his stories, dude. Okay, we yeah. gotta, find, we gotta <laughs> find the guy. I don't know where we could find the guy. Okay, yeah, so, you're right. I don't. Need, I haven't even heard of him. But it has to be. But it has to be minor league manager, right? Because it sounds like those are yeah, the crazy yeah. ones. Okay. All right. I'm writing this down. So minor league manager stories. Uh, also, what about this topic of AAA savvy guys? And you guys just tell veteran AAA stories of like what it's really like the real nitty-gritty where because it seems like or for example totally you're giving lessons to kids right now and every single parent thinks that their eight-year-old is who's ranked number one in the country is going to go and be a big leaguer like this is the real deal of what it goes on because you guys had the highs but then at the end of your careers and you're in triple a like maybe a, an episode on what the hell really goes on when you're a veteran yeah Okay, all right, all right. So that's two episodes right there. All right, cool. Uh, so back to that. All right, go ahead, Tolly. Sorry about that. I, I just nope, didn't want to lose good. my train of thought. That, that, that's a good point. Um, and, and this can be talked about later. I'll say the Buffalo Bisons 2013 team ate better than anybody, ate better than anybody in the International League, thanks to Ricky Romero. Don't, <laughs> do, not, do not go to AAA on a big contract. It's going to cost you more than, than – than what you're making. There, there was a few times I picked up spreads, yeah, for sure. Because oh uh, man, our triple, our that's the other thing. Our triple A spreads were a little rough, man. <laughs> oh, Scott Lester. <laughs> okay. yeah. I love the guy. I love. The oh, guy. they were a little rough. I'm not gonna lie. They were rough, rough, wow. rough, like yeah. rough. Right. So, so that, at times that I yeah, I, that, I, I times I'd take it upon myself and be like, hey man, just here's you know whatever. $700, go buy the whole team spread, you know, like here's, we, here's we, a grand, go to PF Chang's. Yeah, go to P. I think, yeah, it was PF Chang. Yeah, it was, um, uh, there was a, a sub place in uh, on Chippewa Street in Buffalo that we used to order uh, Philly cheesesteaks from. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. And then, like, when Ismail Rogers came down, he was ordering Latin food. So we had Latin, we, dude, we, we, it was, it was a good time. And Josh, I was looking at that, I was looking at that, at that roster and, I see Matt Haig's name. What a beauty that guy is. And he's, he, he's coaching now with the Blue Jays. Exactly right. I was just going to mention that. He worked uh, as a scout, and now he's yeah, now he's coaching. That well, guy would be – that would be the ultimate AAA grinder uh, type guest that we could have on here, man. What's that his he name? Would be Matt Haig. 
Matt Haig. All right. Matt All right. Haig would be good. He might. Hey, now that he's coaching, though, he might be a little reserved. Uh... Man, first of all, <laughs> let me tell you, we've had, you... we've had coaches on yeah. here. We had PJ Pelletieri and uh, Mickey Story as a yeah. coach. You know, and yeah. they were like, they, they were like, well, at first they're like, well, we, you know, we make sure we. And I'm like, dude, don't worry, we're not gonna make you say anything that's gonna be controversial. We. And by the end, they were like, dude, like, this was awesome. Like, yeah. we, we let them tell their story, how they got, you know, from their playing days to their to their coaching days, what they're doing now. Dude, and they enjoyed it. Yeah. It's hey, a- how, how great is PJ? Awesome. Awesome. What a dude. He was I mean, coach last year. What a dude. Ultimate grinder, man. Like, that guy has worked yeah. hard. For, like, he was a uh, at Cal State Fullerton. When when I was there, he, he the, his last year, he came in as a fifth-year senior uh, was drafted by the Yankees, signed for a thousand bucks, grinded his way through the minors, and became a coach. And now he's a freaking back, uh, the second big league coach, right? Or, yeah. or hitting coach. Assist- big, yeah, yeah assistant hitting coach. You know, you know, you come on the podcast, and uh, good things happen to you. Simple as that. It's yeah, real and, simple. I mean, and another guy. I mean, you, another guy we see, I see on that roster from that from that 2014 Buffalo Bisons team is Liam Hendricks, who also we we talked about it a little bit yeah, last yeah. time. He was like, dude, like just kicked around like team from team to team to team to team to team to team, trying to find his identity. Boom, the guy is making what like 60 million, signing yeah. for 60 million this year. So it's just you see, you see those names, and it, it's all coming back now. When I see the those uh, Muninori Kawasaki was part of that team. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're, we're, that's another episode. Just that season alone with those characters of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, Bobby Karecki, who was like the Bobby Karecki did anything yeah. the team told him to do. Guy like yeah. you'd he would start on Wednesday, close the game out on Friday, go to Double A on Saturday, come back to Buffalo to start on Sunday. I never seen anything yeah, like that. Who was that guy, man? Just the nicest guy ever. His locker was the 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 neatest locker you ever. You, these guys would like go and move their his like fingers on purpose. He would come and he knew what what like where everything was at. Boom, he'd like he'd like fix it right away. It, 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 was, it was kind of funny. Hey, don't don't give away the whole story because Beto, you're right. That's a great segment because that 13 team was crazy, and that was part of the craziness of Bobby Karecki's OCD. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the title. Day. Bobby Karecki's OCD is the episode we're going to have pretty hey, soon. And he, so, he's, <laughs> yeah. he, so he's the one that um, he's the one that he does his own rankings for NFL. Like he's all about fantasy football. Like he yeah. lives, oh, breathes so fantasy. Good. He's a scout for the for the Seattle Mariners now, and really? he's the one that, he, he's the one that runs the the playoff football league for for that that Ace almost oh. won this year. Yeah, that guy, so that, he, that's intense. Yeah. So he's always in some kind of pool. Like whenever I need fantasy advice, that's the guy I call. Really, I totally forgot how good he was. I mean, that's all he did. C- yeah. Come the middle of the season, it was like on the buses nonstop. Fantasy and very football. smart, but like very like he was like a hard like dude. That team, that team was that that, that team that's was cool, a, man. That, right, that team that's, was. Cool. That's a whole other episode. All right, so we got crazy minor league managers. Triple uh, <laughs> A grinders with Matt Haig, I believe, and then your 2013 Buffalo team and Ricky spending a thousand dollars on dinner every single I mean, night. Andy Andy Laroche would. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, that would be a guy we could probably get on to talk about the team because you that yeah. We could have a reunion. We're going to be huge in Buffalo that week. We're, they're going to love us, right? Andy Laroche, man, he oh man, he was funny, man. 
We um, need to get a hold of Marty Brown. I, I uh, let me do some leg work on this. I gotta, he might be an Asian. Nobody knows where he's at. He might be. An Asian. I mean, didn't, uh, didn't you play for uh, Wally Backman too? Doesn't yes. he have great stories? So, yeah. So I mean, that's Wally amazing. has great stories, but it's hard to get Wally off the fishing boat. I just uh, talked to him a few days ago. He's like, "I'm fishing. I'll call you back." Oh, okay, there, skipper. <laughs> oh man look see time is flying by 51 minutes into this we got all kinds of good stuff today totally uh once again if you're listening every single tuesday 10 o'clock we do it live here on youtube listen on itunes spotify google play ricky i fixed that google play so if you're an android person it's available for you all over canada all kinds of good stuff all right let me uh let me go back to the the, the topic of today though the minor league camp i'm uh, not the minor camp the spring training when guys are getting released i wanted to ask this totally when a guy that you know like, is your boy, and you said it earlier and it stuck with me, and you said, I'm never going to talk to him again because you know him as baseball, your teammate, you came up with him, and you see that, and somebody who might be a surprise released, what goes on in the clubhouse? Do like people talk to him? Do they avoid him? Like, how does it work? No, it, it's mainly it's, – it's a few hugs. Hey, I got released. Uh, most guys hit the road right away. The, the, you know, some of the close friends that I've had that have moved on, they just got in their cars and they went home. They started driving home. So there's no time to have, you know, to go out to dinner. Now there's guys. So that's one topic. And then the guys getting sent out of major league camp that thought they were going to make the team or projected to make the team and then get optioned down. That's a different conversation because most of the time you can go to dinner with them, talk them off the ledge. That happens a lot. I mean, the, a lot, especially with the younger players getting sent down, don't think they deserve it. But when guys get released, it is they are out immediately, and you never speak with them. And and it's it's sad, but that's just kind of everybody moves on and marriage and kids and everything else. It's it's kind of uh, that that's how it goes. But it, I, there's a lot of guys I wish I could find and reach out to. Is it kind of like hard knocks, like when they cut guys, and they, they just put their bag their stuff in the trash bag? Yeah, uh, yeah. Damn, that's bad. I mean, they 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 don't give you a trash bag. At least they let you keep the the Blue Jays bag, <laughs> or whatever team you belong to. I mean, for me, it was yeah. Blue Jays. That's where I saw it the most. Do people like throw like a tantrum or a fit where they flip stuff over, or like they get pissed off, or is that just in the movies? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I've heard of stories. I've never witnessed okay. one. Uh, not never witnessed one, but I know I know guys that have been sent out of uh, or guys that have requested a trade and they, they snap on the they snap on the skipper. I, I can think of one story in my mind right now, but I I don't think that I think that's a little embellished. I think guys most guys are professional, take their lumps and move on. What about young kids who are super cocky who got the Louis Vuitton bag and thought they were making the team and they're twenty and they're not. Hmm. <laughs> it, 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 dep- it depends though it can be the louis vuitton guy it can be the louis vuitton the louis vuitton carrying bag guy and he could be a first rounder and he knew he, all along he wasn't going to make the team okay know? and uh, um and he knew that hey i'm going to come in here do my work I, I signed for i don't know five million dollars i can afford this kind of stuff but normally younger kids uh you're not going to see very many uh of those expensive brands on them. That's just the way it is. You know, I mean, a lot of those kids are living uh, paycheck to paycheck and just hoping to one day crack that MLB roster. So, um, okay. 
it's mostly the I think nowadays it's more the you know when I was younger I didn't even know what Louis Vuitton when I signed with Louis Vuitton what Gucci was or none of that stuff you know I was just like now every junior high kid has it yeah yeah well yeah. now you know you know it's interesting though like like that that topic is very interesting to me okay so it's not so much about the bags and the belts and the wallets what I found out was that this was very interesting. I was um, I was on a team in 2019 and we were we were traveling on a plane early morning flight and some one of the younger kids had shorts on. Well, I I was always brought up you don't wear shorts like what on the flight. Be professional, put some slacks on, wear nice jeans. And in today's world, most skippers are super lenient. Just wear jeans and nice shoes and a button up. Well, this kid had shorts on and. Um, our body types weren't ident- like uh, really didn't match up, but I said, you know what? I have some service time. Here's my clothes. You, you're going to wear my pants and my shirt, and I'm wearing your clothes. And I put these little white shorts on, and I walk through the airport. But but that that's what we're seeing now. More than we're seeing bags, uh, bags and uh, backpacks and stuff. It's more that uh, the style stuff that and it. It might be professional. Well, no, it's I'm not actually it's not professional. Holy jeans is not professional. Look like you're part of a ball club. Look you're you're representing that team in particular and when you wear je- shorts, jean shorts with holes in them that's not professional. Totally. Why would you do that? To try to teach a kid a lesson because I had the conversation with him. I said, "No, we wear pants. We wear we don't wear holy jeans. This is we just and then he, the next trip, he shows up in shorts. So that was uh, – he got my size 38 uh, my size thirty eight pants, and he had about a 28 waist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and obviously, it's uh, times are changing. Um, when I look at guys uh, jumping on on big league flights nowadays, it's it's completely different. The, the style has changed, and, you know, you're allowed sneakers. When I came up, you weren't allowed to – have any type of sneaker or anything with laces it all had to be dressed up shoes and you had to wear a suit yeah so so obviously looking you know 10 12 years later all that stuff has changed big time like some guys you know it's all about who what designer you're wearing and what kind of christian louis Vuitton shoes you're wearing or whatever you call it with the spikes and Everyone's trying to make a fashion statement, and 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 you know that's just the time we live in. I mean, I'm not bitter by uh, by any means about it. It it is just it is what it is. I'm just like, man, I wish I was a part of that because jeans is way more comfortable than than wearing uh, suit pants and on a plane for like four hours when you're coming to the West Coast. And then, but <laughs> and you I'm, get to, and I'm bitter about it. Why? I'm bitter. I'm bitter about it. I I think it just looks ugly. <laughs> Because those, the, the Patrick sweat, man, they're sweating twenty four seven, man. Yeah, it just looks good. I, you know what? It used to be a luxury when the skipper would say, "Hey, no tie on this trip." We were oh. like, "Oh yeah, no tie." But like yeah. a little overcoat, a little suit coat with some slacks and some nice dress shoes, it's not that hard. Now, if, now listen, you're traveling overnight. You're getting into the hotels at three in the four in the morning. I'm I'm good with that, but. When you land in New York City at seven o'clock on a Sunday night, and you get off the plane, and guys have hats on and ripped jeans and sneakers, like, come on, I don't know. I'm bitter. I'm bitter about what it. Got, what do you got on that, Beto? What, 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 um, what, what, 
Well, are you are you the type of guy that that likes like there's a certain professionalism? I mean, I know in yes. the NBA they travel in, in 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 their in their sweatsuits. In the NBA, it's you don't have to wear that. It's you wear your sweats, and that's it. You wear what that's you it. want, and there. But when you walk into the arena, you have to be dressed up. But when they travel, it's perfectly fine. You can wear your as long as it's team issued gear, you're fine. Um, yeah. I get that. And I, I get it. I always wondered. On Sundays, as a reporter, because guys are so fast, because it's a getaway day, and then you see Juan Uribe rocking a full-on fashion suit, like red, the a fedora, a cigar, and he was taking pictures. It was great. Then I thought about, like, wait a minute, they're just flying to San Francisco. Like, yeah. why do they have to wear a suit? I always wondered that. Why do you have to wear a suit when you're gonna land in the private area? Because the private jets land away I'm the, away from the regular airline. You're not walking yeah. through the airport. But then you made a point to me. You said, well, when you're getting to the hotel, you know, it's the, the Ritz, the Four Seasons, wherever the fancy exclusive hotels you guys are staying at. Then I can see that. You walking in, you want to be professional. Yeah. But if you're walking in at 5 in the morning, dude, just let it go sometimes. Like, yeah. let it happen. No, but- I, I do. I do. And I would say I would let it. Like, I, I love, the team issues sweatsuits. I would, I think that looks more, more professional. Yes. And dudes wearing whatever the hell they want to wear. Yeah, yeah, because you manage it better. Yeah, yeah. It, it's maybe, a... it, guys, let's be honest. Maybe I'm bitter because I have no style. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get it. I get what Josh is saying. It's easier to yeah. throw on a, when in in AAA when I was with the with the Giants and even in in with Buffalo, it was like just wear some nice jeans, some dress yeah. shoes, uh, and a dress shirt, and that's it. You know, and a coat. It's yeah. a, you know, look and, the and, part. I I tell this to young interns all the time. Out. When you're younger, you better. Like dress how the job that you want, like interest. not the job that you have. Exactly, I always tell them: walk into that st- TV studio. Make sure you have a collar shirt. Make sure you have nice jeans. Make sure you don't wear running shoes. Like look the part, and it's changed. I know we're sounding like old guys. I'm in my forties. I'm something like that guy. But at the same time, as soon as you can see him the first time, you're judged. Now, when you're, uh, you know, Big Poppy, you can do whatever you want. His expensive Do jeans. Whatever you want. Yeah. He's earned it. His expensive jeans cost five thousand dollars pro ripped hole. It's fine. You could do that. <laughs> but when you're the twenty eighth guy, you got a time and place. You see, yeah, but, but for us, for for us, my my rookie year, it was Roy Halliday wearing a suit. So you better be exactly. wearing a suit. But know? that's what I'm saying. You say that about Big Poppy, but I bet you ninety five percent of the time, Big Poppy probably had some sort of slack on. Yep. A, a, a three-piece i've watched i mean I, i've walked out of the stadium with him mean it's like three-piece suit it's like it's fresh that's and, fresh and he wore it once yeah. he wore it. <laughs> and then donated it exactly uh i we have one question coming in for Tolia as we're gonna start wrapping up uh my good friend carlos de la Torre, a fan of the show uh he's actually i'm not gonna get him in trouble he's a, he's a counselor at a junior high so he's not doing any kind of work right now he's actually watching the show <laughs> And he's like, I can't type in my question because I don't want people to see it. So, Carlos, I'm saying your name, uh, first and last name, and uh, I'm letting people know that you're not watching this show right now. But he wants to know, <laughs> Tolly, um, what do you think about current catchers being taught to get on one knee? Not the way it's been done, not the way a lot of gold glovers win it, but a lot of young kids are doing it because his son is a young catcher and he went somewhere and was told this is what's going on. I want. I want to hear this. I want to hear this. Yeah. I, I, this is one topic I wanted to hear about, and we got the perfect guy here for it. So I have. It's a. It's a mixed bag. It really is. There is value to going down to one knee. There's value to learning how to catch off a knee. 
Um, there's some value in the blocking in the sense that you're already underneath the ball and it takes the anxiety out when you're not sure if the ball is going to bounce. Now, I think you have to have what I teach my catchers right now is I don't care how you catch. I can teach you multiple levels of catching, but there's, there's a major, there's a one determining factor in this. It's a comfort level, whatever you're comfortable with, whether it's catching with your left knee down, right knee down, conventional side saddle, however you want to do it, I'm good with. There are some common themes that I teach as far as like the glove movement, how the glove starts. And I think that that holds true. So, so to the question is, what do I think of it? I think there's some value in it. But I also believe that we're coming down the stretch where we're going to have an automated strike zone, which means the stealing strikes thing is not uh, is not a thing. Does it take away from your throwing is another question I tend to get. Yes, it does take away from your throwing. I don't think you will throw – your times won't be what you think they are. However, I, I've done both ways, and I think my accuracy was as good as it's ever been in this position. I can, I can say that I've blocked well from one knee versus being in a conventional stance because you are underneath the ball already. You're in the ground. There's mechanics to get side to side. So I guess in a nutshell, like there, there's some value, but do you, does your son have the ability to make a hybrid of it? When guys, you know, let's say a guy gets on third base and he doesn't feel good blocking and we can't let the guy score, get up in a conventional stance. It's okay if that's how you feel better blocking I think each kid is its own entity. The problem that we're seeing right now in the industry is coach catching coaches are making this black and white. They're saying you catch from your right knee, you catch from your left knee, or I don't believe in any of that. I, I think I think there's takeaways from all all parties. I have kids that catch primarily on uh, on one knee, and I, I, I teach them to do it. We work through the mechanics if uh, if that's how they want to go. And I have kids that are hybrids. And for that fact, I have some kids – actually, I have two lessons tonight where kids don't even catch from a knee. They catch old school. And, and there's way to integrate all of this. It, it, um, do, not, do not let your coaches sell your kids on this as black and white. Mm. Now, so, uh, question for you. Do you think analytics has ruined a bit of the, the catching position? Uh, yeah, it, it's ruined a lot of the catching position. Analytics from a standpoint of we can talk about uh, stealing strikes as, as a piece of the analytics standpoint that is that, that we can call has ruined it. Um, but I, I will say this, there is some value in working. It's a little bit easier to work down to up to the ball um, versus out of a conventional stance. That's why I believe in what I call, and I wish I could show it on here, but I believe in more of a glove load to load your glove down a little bit. It doesn't have to get to the ground like we're seeing some catchers today do, but it has to move a little bit so you create some momentum and you create some rhythm for the catch. So to, from that perspective, it has ruined it. Uh, the analytics have ruined um, the ceiling strike piece of it, no doubt. Where analytics has really ruined it, and, and I, I, have a, I have a real hard passion for this, is game calling. Game calling is becoming obsolete. I'm frustrated about it. There's no more reading swings. There's no more knowing, having to understand who your pitcher is. You used to have to know what you used to have to rank your pitcher's pitches inning to inning. Now you don't even have to worry about it. 
they, they, everything comes on the wristband. And it, and guys, I wish I would have just kept the wristband from last year, but it really tells you exactly what to do and what counts. Stop it. What, what pitch to throw with what guy to what hitter in certain counts. What? Yeah. That detailed? And a little bit oh, to that, I mean, it, 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 and Josh would know this because he's behind the plate, and I'm and I'm the pitcher. It it is your curveball is not always there, and if and if and if this guy can't hit a curveball, but you, the pitcher, can't seem to have a feel for it, why would you, why would you make your pitcher throw throw that pitch so, if you, know, yeah. you can't? It's about feel Ooh, sure. and what you're feeling that day. There's certain days where you have certain pitches, and certain days where you don't. Let me give you guys this one. So. I, I had a debate with somebody one time. I had a kid on the mound that he, he threw 102, just threw absolute pellets and had no breaking ball. Well, the wristband, obviously, the kid throws 102. What do you think the wristband's going to say? All fastballs, right? <laughs> well, we're in the midst of playing a game that absolutely means nothing. But the idea that we have to follow the wristband and not throw any of his off-speed pitches. So I presented the idea. I said, guys, this, we have a novel idea here in the, in the fact that what if we develop a breaking ball for the guy? So now he throws 102 and has a breaking ball because 102 in the big leagues gets waffled if that's the only pitch you can throw. And I was told to follow the wristband, so that's what I did. You know what? And I and I look at a little what I I look at um Ayadier Molina. Obviously, that's the perfect example, and and he's stuck to his his style his whole career. And you look at that, and you're like, why don't we mold more catchers like him? What um, is wrong? And I know the analytics and this and that, but the man, the dude has been so durable. He's good behind the plate. I mean, uh, 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 Perez from the Cleveland Indians has kind of followed him, and 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 I'm like, I'm sitting here wondering why are we not following that model more? Those are those are two examples, Ricky, that that I, I tend to use with my guys because they do use hybrid stances. They use multiple different stances for whether it be location, situ game situations, like. If you watch those guys catch, they go to a knee at times, and and, yeah, and yeah. you can't argue it's it's on the video. And then there's times that that they're in a conventional stance with a certain guy because they don't feel good blocking the guy's breaking ball. Let's call it right. Mm -hmm. You have to understand what your body can do and what position to be in instead of just teaching a, a, a one sided uh, a, a one sided method. Um, yeah. Why are we not teaching guys that? Um, Kind of a harsh comment, I think, but like, there's some guys that probably don't know how to teach it. Yeah, mm. I know mm. it's true, I, and, and, and I just think I I just think when I when I look at I mean, and I had the the pleasure of having great catchers throughout my career in in uh, Jose Molina, who comes out of that bloodline, and he I mean, when he yeah. would steal strikes, and hitters would look back at the umpire, and he would just kind of like like I I there was times where I would throw a pitch, and and I was like. Damn it, you know, and and then, and then all of a sudden the umpire strike, and I was like, "Whoa, he that <laughs> nicely," you know, like, and, and you and you're like, "How did I get that? Like, how did I get that strike?" But those guys are like magicians with their hands, and I feel like with that catching position, we really don't see it anymore. Where it's like you're 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 trying, like, you see the whole like, I'm gonna 
yanked my hand from like little league style from the outer half into the middle. And it's like, that's pretty obvious where these guys were like, you know, they knew how to catch a ball and, and make sure they put themselves in a good position to get that strike. Right. And, and Ricky, what I, what I actually tell my high school kids is it's more body position and where and how you set yeah. up on the plate versus it is anything else. Right. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. you teach, you teach the kids to start a little bit of like a bigger move. So they get used to like, we're not framing pitches like this anymore. We're not framing pitches like this anymore. Those days are over, right? But the, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is you put them in a good position on the plate and on the edge of the plate and on the corner. That's why, first off, Jose Molina caught from a knee, especially at the end of his career, more than anybody. Yeah, yeah he did. And he was, he was so good with the pitch in the bottom of the zone, but nobody ever talks about it. But if you if you go back and watch video and, and you threw to him so you know – but, but you understand what his objective was, was to really master the pitch down in the zone and down and away and down and into guys. And he had the ability because of how low he was. But I think mm-hmm. if you watch Yachty catch and, and you watch Perez catch, for example, watch where these guys set up. They don't set up on they, – they, very rarely do they set up. A, they barely hardly ever set up in the middle. And B, they very rarely set up on the thirds. They work the edges with guys that they can do it. And that's what makes their move look so small. Damn, that, that was a really, really good inside baseball. Yeah, no, and, 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 I love and that. I, love I that. like that. You see, I, I would never be able to explain that, and 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 that's that's true. I mean, he he's he's one that to know where, you know, these guys are moving maybe a tiny little bit, and and it's something that the camera is never going to catch, you know. But yeah, they're right. they're moving, they're moving, and and the angles sometimes that we have on TV, it seems like he's set up down the middle, but I guarantee you, he's not set up down the middle. And, and uh, yeah. let me let me tell you guys this: if you're watching. The angle that they show you behind the pitcher's mound, it's not directly behind the pitcher's mound. It's off to oh. the side a little bit. I, yeah, I try to tell, right. I try to tell fans that all the time that well, he should be behind. Like no, because then he's in the hitter's eye. So it's off a little angle. It's different. But that was yep. damn totally. Yeah, that was right. good. When people, are, when people argue balls and strike, and I'm oh. like, ah, you know, like obviously I want every inner half, outer yeah. half strike, but some of them are pretty obvious that that are not strikes, but. Going back to that point, like, yeah, like, I just, you know, I feel like that position, you know, with the blocking, with all yeah. the, with trying to yank stuff, and it's kind of lost a little bit of, a, I guess, what, what, what the catching position is all about, you know, which it, where it's, uh, you know, you, it's, it's, I'm going to block my ass off for that pitcher, I'm going to call a great game, and I'm going to steal as many strikes as I can for him today. Right. And, and, and let me say one more thing, because it's more, it's not even, it's bigger than just stealing strikes. It's about not losing strikes either, right? It's about keeping mm-hmm. balls that are on the plate strikes. But the piece that's missing, and, and this is one thing I actually did. I, I did my own little speech on this. I, I wrote it all out, right? I, I call it, it's like a leadership game management uh, type little packet that I made. Because there's so many nuances in the game, whether it be pitcher-catcher relationship, catcher-pitching coach relationship, catcher-umpire relationship, these are all things that, that mold you as to who the great catchers are. It's the personality that you have. Now we're taking all of that away. You are losing credibility by trying to rip balls all over the freaking strike zone. Like that, that's not realistic, right? Like you're right, Ricky. When you see a guy move a ball eight, ten inches, like, holy Jesus, just let it go. It's a ball. Like what are we, yeah. what, what's the objective here? But but the main piece that we're losing from this game behind the plate is that. The, the intangibles and really the, the honest art of catching. 
And that's what uh, that's what hurts the most. And as I said, and I'll stand by it, I'm we're, we're slowly losing people who can talk about it and understand what those relationships are like, because you really have to do it before you can tell people what it looks like. Yeah. And, and, it, and it goes the same with with pitching. I've had I've had I've, I have friends who work in in for certain organizations where, you know, you bring in certain type of guys and and they're, they're trying to teach pitching and they have no idea on how to teach pitching and you know to me you 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 don't have to pitch in the big leagues to understand it or to know what it's like and this and that but when you're when you're when you don't know how to communicate certain things to 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 players out there then to me that you're just doing a disservice to the team and to the yeah. to the player no, no and, doubt I, i've always said that you you don't have to play you don't have to play at a super high level to be a good coach. I think you have to play a little bit. I think the catching position is more demanding and there's more nuances versus other positions. But that's uh, I, I do agree with you, Ricky. And I mean, you 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 listen, you talk to guys like like a PJ Pilateri. Um, obviously, he never played in the big leagues, but you you talk to guys from that team, and they're like. Oh, like we love him, you know. We love him the way he yeah. communicates, the way he he presents everything to us makes it easier. That's what you want to hear from players. That's, a, that's no, not no. not the where a coach leaves you like, what did he just say and what does he want me to do? And like I said, I, the, the the people I've talked to in, in organizations are like, yeah, we have guys that come in and because they they have this this you know a facility or anything like this where they run pitching and they got their guys throwing. 100 plus you know they think they can come and talk to a pitcher and say hey can you like spot this fastball down and away well shit like like you know help me a little bit and 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 right. it, you know the, it, there's a certain way to communicate and i and like josh said i think this game's losing it a little bit in that sense where guys that can talk the game that can that can that can communicate to these players is it's a bit of a missing tool damn this was a good episode this was damn good right there. That we had a little <laughs> bit of, uh, of Farmer Tolly, Hunter Tolly. We get into the stories, and then what I really like about it is at the end we get into like that that crunch, the meat of baseball talk. That yeah, me as a love. as a casual fan, as a reporter watching this, I love hearing all that. We appreciate uh, a question from Carlos who right away said, "Hey, I'm gonna teach that to some of my catchers." Like th- that that right there, educating the the fan and the coaches down there because you know what I learned. Um, that baseball is really hard from the couch. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's easy from the couch. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. It should be hard, but it's really easy. And, and baseball, so easy. And it's really easy on Twitter. Oh, my God. I, you wouldn't even know. But you don't have social media, so we'll tell you about that. Well, well <laughs> a, a, one thing with Carlos, if there's any 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 drills or anything, I, I, I'm more than happy to, uh, to, to help out and send his way. Oh, or, no or I can do, do some demonstrations for him, and you, we can get him over to him. How, oh, what, what, any helping? He just has to tell, tell L- me. Los was actually my high school baseball coach, so that's who's yeah. watching right now. He is such a big baseball fan. Uh, I knew he was going to watch today. That's why I got my Westside uh, Padre Brown hat on. He's a Padre fan. He's all fired up. He, he's a legit Padre fan. He's the one. And he named his kid Alomar. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So Love that, that. that's that that's how much yeah. of a fan he is. So he named his kid Alomar. So Alomar uh is gonna be getting some catching lessons from Josh Tolley. So all right, Tolley, we'll do it again next week. We gotta find uh downtown Marty Brown. Is that his name? Um, <laughs> I already have I, I have it on YouTube so go uh, look up Marty Brown ejections on YouTube so we can see a potential guest I'm going to look for it 
Uh, always rate, review, subscribe, and this is good, man. This is damn good information. Our lawyer, Curtis Gold, wants to know if you're going to hunt people. Uh, I told him no. So we have a lawyer on deck. We got ready to go. <laughs> now, this is a good episode, fellas. This is a really good episode. I really yeah, enjoyed this awesome. part of it. I mean, you get into a little bit of everything and, you know, from the minor league side, a lot of that, that that's not talked about, um, you know, our 2014 Buffalo Bisons team and the interesting characters we had on that team. Huh. And and then right at, right here, right at the end, you know, that, that I, I, I actually woke up today and I was like, I, I want to ask Tolly about the catching. And then sure enough, Carlos asked that whole thing. And, 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 and I think it's important. You know, you got two guys here who have experience and uh, waiting for a team to hire us. So uh, <laughs> and, the pitcher catcher combo Man. come in and be part of a team. Let us know. And if you guys want to, yeah. and if you want to give us a TV show, um, we're, we'll do that too. No problem, a TV show because Tolly has a studio. No, no worry, we got it. We got it. Oh, we'll do a radio show for you guys. Whatever you want, just tell us. Tolly, 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 Tolly. Always do TV. They pay more. Oh. Oh. April first, baby. April first, breaking news. April first, PTLA to my LA people. Oh, 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 are we gonna you know, break the news? Oh, we're gonna, are, we, are we breaking yeah. news here? Wow. Yeah. All right. ACLA, so April 1st, talking a little bit Dodger baseball. It should be fun. April 1st, Ricky Romero will be on Channel 5 here in Los Angeles. We'll record that. We'll get that for you, Tolly, because I know you'll be asleep by 8 o'clock, so you won't be able to see it. <laughs> uh, but just remember, Ricky, uh, TV is fun, and you get your own little makeup bag, so I'll have uh, this for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody sent me videos of Ricky putting the makeup on. Uh, so I, I have this for you. Uh, I'm nowhere. sure... You know what? I'm sure Beto is so well connected with TV stations here that he's going to get video of oh. everything that goes on backstage. He's going to be like, make sure you take video of him getting okay. makeup. So, make sure you take video of everything. So that, we, that we have a couple on. options for you. First of all, we got to go get you match. So you want to use Mac Studio Fix. Um, <laughs> so when you put your makeup on, Rick, you don't put it on. You dab. Okay, so you put that on. Most importantly, though, you need the makeup removers because as soon as you get out, Rick, as soon as you get out, you're in that car, you're wiping it off because now because of COVID, I don't know if they're going to have a, a makeup artist there for you. So we'll take care of you. Uh, our good friend Diana Harrison, makeup artist, she sent some stuff over. And if you want to get some, you're bald, right? So you got to do something for your head. We got anti-shine for you, Rick, too. I got you. Look at this. I got you a little gift. Uh, how do you open this one up? So this no, one, Diane got him a gift, Beto. No, no, she gave it to me. It, this is just oh. to get rid of the shine on the top of your head. So we got you. Ricky, let me see this shine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, can, I, can I ask one thing? On Friday, April 2nd, can we do a special show? <laughs> uh, we might uh, be able to. We, we might. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It would actually be pretty cool because we can maybe get into the whole uh, – our experiences with opening day since okay. uh, April 1st is opening day. Uh, yeah, we, we could do we, we could do two we could do two shows that week, no problem. Yeah, uh, or, we, or, we, or we bang Tuesday. We no, don't no, do no, 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 no. For the people, we do Tuesday preview. We'll do a little yeah. preview stuff, and then uh, that I Friday that. we'll do Ricky recap. I'll get some video. Also, Rick, <laughs> yeah. I'm a. Tell the dog to get out of the way because I'm coming over because I got some eye patches to for the eye puffy reducer. So, <laughs> oh, oh hey, no. can you send me some of those? Oh yeah, I got you. So these are these these are uh, Korean right here. You put a little, you just put them on your eyes right here. It'll take that takes yeah. years off of you. You'll look fantastic, my friend. Nobody, these videos will go nowhere. I promise. <laughs>
boys, this is awesome. I yeah. love it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Make sure you rate, review, and share. Uh, all the people in Manitoba, Vancouver, uh, Tijuana, uh, and Manny Pareda, you tune down in Culiacan, wherever you may be. Share, share, and let people know what's going on because this podcast is going to continue to grow, and you want to let people know that you're on the ground floor because the day I start making shirts, don't be saying, oh, I want one because I'm going to remember. British fans, UK, I, I take care of you. I mean, Blue Jay fans, UK, we take care of you. We'll do all kinds of stuff. All right, we will see you next week. Tolly, good luck on the roof. Don't break anything. Uh, Ricky, good luck with that dog. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to another edition. Adios. See you guys.